Leah has this thing where she always asks you what your, how old you are. I'm, I'm sure Roxy will love me sharing this. So she always asks, it's like one of her things, if she just wants to talk non-stop. So um, if, if no one's talking, she'll ask, how old are you? Like the same, she'll ask this tons of times. So she'll ask Roxy, how old are you? And then she'll say, you're, fi- you're 52. And Roxy's like, no. And I'm like, I always say Roxy is 25. So that's my, but, but I'm 36 today. So it's a, um, it's a great. That's how many tomatoes in old old bottle. Yeah, that's true. Thank you. Now, now I have something to relate to. Thank you. But it, it is really a privilege to, to be able to preach on your birthday. Yeah, um, for me, it's wow. a privilege. So it's really good to be here with you guys and, and to bring God's word. And I just um, trust that the Lord wants to impart something to us um, this morning as we continue in our series through the book of James. And so um, this morning's message is, is entitled, Why partiality, partiality Neutralizes the Church. Why Partiality Neutralizes the Power of the Church. And so I'm going to explain that a little bit and unpack that a little bit. But let's first of all go to our text because I want to read the text through slowly. It's 13 verses. I know it's long, but I just feel the context is important here. Because in this particular part of James, he touches on themes that run through the whole book of James. And, and one of these themes that he's touching on is the whole theme of how we interact with one another in the context of church. How we see each other, how we interact with each other. And how that plays out. Because a lot of what James speaks about is really about the, the nitty gritty of our faith. We can say we have faith, but what does it look like in practice? He's always talking about that. He's always challenging our faith in practice. And here's one of those really core things that reveal what our faith looks like in practice. In terms of the way that we treat one another in the church. So James chapter 2. I'm going to read a few verses there. And... Um, The first 13 verses of chapter 2. My brothers and sisters, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. So that's the same word, partiality, personal favoritism. It's choosing certain people as your favorites over others. And he gives an example. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man with dirty clothes... And you pay special attention to the one who is wearing fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down here at my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? So James is saying that when we are partial, when we show favoritism to some people over others, it's revealing an evil motive within us, which we'll come back to in a minute. So he says, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to become rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the law of the kingdom. So some translations say the royal law, but it really means the law of the kingdom. According to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the laws of transgressors. 
For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point has become guilty of all. For he who said do not commit adultery, he also said do not commit murder. Now if you do commit adultery, do you not commit, but do not commit murder, you have become a trans- transgressor of the whole law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom or the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So what James is saying here is that essentially in the way that we see each other, in the way that we look at each other, in the way that we evaluate each other, in our contact with one another, as we are gathered together as a church, but even really in an evangelistic mindset as well, we must be so careful in how we judge one another. Now, he's not saying, we must understand the context, he's not saying that there's no judgment in the church. Because there is times in which in the church there has to be judgment. There's times in which when we walk in relationship with people and we say, my friend, you keep this mistake that you're making, you keep making it, you keep going back to um, having an affair with this woman, and at some point, if it doesn't change, you have to put that person out of the church. That's also reality within the church. So don't think that what James is saying is don't judge in the church at all. He's saying don't judge people based upon these immutable characteristics of their poverty or their wealth, or their their, um, class or their culture, or their language or how they dress, or their age, or any of these things. And he's saying that when we make that judgment, just as Jesus said, Jesus makes this point in Matthew chapter 7. He says, be very careful, Jesus said, about how you judge. Because how you judge others, that is how you will be judged. And I really believe that this um, passage where he talks about mercy, mercy and liberty, he's speaking about the justice element of the gospel. That the gospel, what the gospel does is it brings justice to everyone because everyone is guilty. And the moment that I think of someone in another light, other than in the light of the gospel and the justice of the gospel, then I actually nullify the power of grace to function in my life and in my church. That is why partiality is so dangerous. Because it nullifies the power of God's gospel, the power of God's grace to really function in and through our lives and to see the kingdom come in a very real way. And I think if you take a logical conclusion to this where he says that this partiality it reveals evil motives if you think about that really at its core any kind of favoritism is a sign of self-worship that I actually worship myself because I'm looking at people all the time and I'm thinking what can this person benefit me and so I put people in a standing in relation to myself based on what it can benefit me but if I worship God alone then I see everybody as either God's child or possibly going to become God's child. And I see people through the lens, through the eyes of Christ. And I look at people in that way. And so partiality and favoritism, it reveals something that's deep-rooted in our hearts. And I don't think that any of us can say that we are completely free from self-worship. It's probably the most um, base level of idolatry. That exists. It's rooted in our pride, in my belief that really, and and Sheldon spoke about this last week in relation to money, I want to be the one who decides good from evil. I want to be the one who decides this is good for me and that's bad for me. I want to make those decisions for my life. I don't want anyone else, especially not God, to be the one to tell me how to live my life. I'll follow certain principles, but in in the details, I want to be the one to finally make the decision for myself. This is good and that's bad. 
And that relates as well to how I see people. So I'll decide who will be my friends. I'll decide who will be my friends. Maybe God wants to decide for you who should be your friends. I'll decide who I'm going to invite around to my house for a bride. Maybe God wants to decide that. But in my own worship of myself, in thinking of myself primarily as the one who decides how I live, I fall into this trap. I fall into partiality. So I want to do a little exercise with us um, this morning, just to help us think around this, because it's a little bit intangible, and I think it's better to just make it really tangible to us. So I want 10 volunteers. You don't have to do anything. Take them from the back. All the back. Well, the, you, I promise you, you're not going to be expected to do anything embarrassing like sing happy birthday. You're just going to stand in the front. So I just need 10 people, very quickly. Five on this side, and five over on that side, so everyone can see. Come up. Just come straight up, and just stand... Five over here, five over there. Thanks, guys. Thanks. I need, I need two more on each side. Come, Caleb, thank you. One more. One more on that side. Okay, so I want you to stand back a little bit so people can see you. So, um, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand out to each of them a sign. And what I want you guys to do with the sign is I want you to hold it over your face. So people can't see your face. We're not looking at you. Your bodies are going to be representative for us of a different person that's described by this piece of paper. Okay, so you're just filling a gap. I'm sorry, that's all I want you to do. It's not about you now. It's not about you, yes, exactly. So, there we go. The reading of the Okay. And, and really, that's the best. Act this out as much as you can. If you want to act out what your, what your word says, that's great. Okay, so what I want us to do is, as I give them this, this word that is going to describe that person, it's going to describe something of this person that we just see, maybe passing on the street or maybe coming into the church. Think for yourself, how do you judge this person? Don't, I'm not going to ask you, so don't be pretentious and lie. Be really honest with yourself and say, when I see a person like that, that's how I respond to them. That's what I think about them. Okay, so I'm going to hand I don't know what order they're in, so it might be a bit... Interesting what order they come out. So there we go. Oh, there we go. Someone who is a different ethnicity, ethnicity to you. A different ethnicity. <coughs> ethnicity. Race. It's a better word. I don't like the word race. There we go. Caleb is a young single so imagine that. But imagine that. What's your response? Immediately you see a young girl, maybe 17 years old, coming in. What do you think about her? What judgment do you make of her? Here we go. Come on, wait. What's going to happen here? Homeless. Homeless person. Oh, that's a bad one. Where's a Man United jersey? <laughs> this is... According to scriptures, this is the only time you're allowed to be partial. <laughs> you're allowed to reject. You're allowed to scorn. If it's a... Where? Where's... Give the Man United a... Oh, yeah, to Steve. No, no, I won't do that to Steve. Or if you wear an English rugby jersey. Like, yes. like no, Matt had done this one. There we go. Very oh, rich. Oh, prophesy. Well, <laughs> 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 I've already been there. So <laughs> 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 <
frail or disabled. Someone who's very frail, very old or disabled. Think of that pastor that we heard about this morning. 95 years old. Moving for the kingdom of God. But what do we think when we see someone come in that is maybe 95 years old? Like, oh, that's, I mean, I'm not going to bother with that person. There's nothing they can do for God. Come on now. <laughs> you can sit, you can sit yeah. Oh, there we go. That's one suits you. Attractive. Attractive. Characteristics that maybe define part of their past or their even maybe their immutable characteristics, things that can't change about them. Does that affect how you see them? How you look at them? How you judge them? So think about that for a moment. Okay, I'm going to ask, um, well, I'm going to ask you, ex convict, to come and stand over here. Um, I'm going to ask Knows the Bible to come and stand over here, please. And then the person in the middle. Let's make the person in the middle um, very rich. Very rich, come and stand in the middle. The other guys, you can go and have a seat. Thank you, guys. Give them a hand. Okay. So, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm asking you guys to stand for a while. So, if it gets a bit heavy holding it there, you can see how strong you are. So, here's the reason why partiality is so dangerous in the church. Because it goes against the very root of the gospel. It goes against the very essence, the very core of what the gospel is about. So I want to explain to you a little bit about that from um, Romans. Paul writes in Romans, and I'm going to just explain this by using these three people. So Paul in Romans talks about three kinds of people. As he, as he explains to the Roman church this whole issue of partiality, because what happened in the church in Rome is that the church was founded most likely by um, Jewish believers who went back to Rome after Pentecost. And many churches were founded in Rome, and the churches spread. We don't really know who founded them, but these churches began in Rome. And then at a certain point in 59 AD, because of an uprising that was happening and some rumblings in the city, the emperor said, all the Jews out, get out of Rome. So all the Jews leave Rome. And now you've got these churches that were founded by Jewish Christians. They've got some Gentiles in them. And these churches are now carrying on, and the Gentiles are now the leaders of the church. A little while later, that ban elapses, and the Jews start coming back. Now you can imagine the tension. You are this Jew who knows all of the Bible, who planted this church, and you come back into the church, and here's some Gentile who grew up as a pagan, a sinner, and they're leading the church. And so the tensions that existed in the Roman church were palpable. So a lot of the letter of Romans is written into that context where Paul is saying you need to understand how the gospel works. Because it does not take into account your previous life. 
It does not even take into account your heritage. Yeah. That's the nature of the gospel. So first of all, Paul says, okay, we know that there's some people in the world like Will. No, I'm just joking. We're not going to use Will's name. Let's say like an ex-convict. Let's say. Okay, we're just using this as an example. But Paul says there's certain people in the world who are sinners. They just sin. That's what they do. They do lots of it. They love it. They don't make apology for it. And they just do it. Whatever. And it's, it, just, it just expands. The sin just gets from worse to worse to worse. You're always looking for the next thing, the next kick. And he, he explains what this looks like in the world. And how these people, even though they know there's a God, because they can see it in nature, they reject God and they just go deeper yeah. and deeper and deeper into sin. Yeah. And he says these people even carry the consequences of their sin in their bodies. Yet they still continue with it. Maybe they even end up in prison. They're sinners. It's the first group of people. Then there are other people who look at the sinners and say, well... At least I'm better than them. Yeah. I'm not like these people. So we'll use the very rich person. It doesn't have to be a rich person, but any person who's really moral in their thinking. This is what Paul says. He calls them the moral people. These people, they look at the sinners and they say, I'm better than them because, well, for starters, I give money to the homeless. I um, tweet about social justice issues. Um, I, I, I do lots of good things. And I'm always fighting for other you know, people who are maybe marginalized. And, and, and I generally try not to do bad things. I mean, I've never killed a person like, like this guy. Or I've never been maybe in the kind of situations they've been in. But that's the second person, this moral person. They can really show you how morally they are better than the sinners. And then there's a third person that, that Paul talks about. And he specifically is addressing the Jews here. But it applies actually to us today as well. He talks about the person who is a law keeper. A person who knows the Bible well. They know it well. And they are very good at pointing out all the faults in the other people. And they're very well good at pointing out to everyone else what you should and shouldn't be doing. Because they know what the Bible says. You shouldn't do this. You should do this. You shouldn't do this. You should do this. And they're very good at telling people all about that. So Paul says, in the world, we have these three people. Here's the problem. These guys are already judged. They're experiencing the judgment. And the world, the creation judges them. Because their denial of God is overturned by creation itself. It's really interesting to me that just in recent times, more and more scientists are speaking yeah. out against atheism. Yeah. Speaking out against Darwinian evolution. Yeah. And saying... That it's actually nonsense because it's mathematically impossible. So it's interesting how creation is more and more revealing to people that there's a God. And they cannot deny it. I don't want to get scientific um, with you, but it's just fascinating to look at that and see. One of the things that they're saying, the mathematicians, they're saying the, the amount of um, variables that there is in a cell forming with, the, with the, the proteins that have to form in a cell. It's so incredibly um, precise that those proteins all form at the same time. Billions of years for the earth to exist is not enough time for, for it to have happened by natural selection. The world would have to be billions, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of billions of years old in order for there to be a chance of evolution working. So they, now, now, science is busy doing right now. You're going to find out about this very soon. It's going to become a thing on the news. Science is finding out that evolution is debunked, doesn't exist, can't work. So nature proves that these guys are wrong, the sinners. However, then Paul says, okay, you guys who judge them, here's the problem. You're judging these guys. But in your heart and in secret, you are doing the same things they do. Sure. Yeah. So who are you judging? You're judging them and you're judging yourself. Yes. 
Because you want to do what they do. You just can't do it publicly. And you think about doing what they do, but you won't talk about it. So who's better? You've judged yourself. And then Paul says, okay, you, lawkeeper, you Jew who had the law, you should be better than these guys. But you know that if you falter at one point in the law, you've broken the whole law of God. So he says to them, okay, tell me, you've kept the law so well, and you've told other people how to keep the law. Tell me, which law do you falter at? Because it only takes one. It only takes one, and you are then in the same boat as everybody else. And then Paul gets to this statement, which we know so well. In chapter 3, I'm going to ask you guys to sit in a minute, just bear with me. He says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, been witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. So it doesn't matter if you're an ex-convict or very rich or knows the Bible. Unless you come to faith in Jesus Christ, there is no other way by which you can be saved. There is no other answer for you. Thank you, guys. Give them a hand. And here's the thing why this is so important. Because this lies at the core of the gospel. And this is where partiality begins to take root in our thinking. Is we like to judge people. On other things other than the gospel. We like to put a pedestal. Maybe, maybe I'm inclined to do it this way. Maybe I think that I'm better than other people and so I look down at other people. Or maybe I think I'm worse than other people so I look up at other people. Do you know that both is equally bad? Both is partiality. Because I'm looking at people through eyes that is not the gospel, not the cross of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament actually... Where, we talk, where they speak about partiality, it's actually from the other side than what James is speaking about. In the Old Testament law, it said, don't be partial when you're bringing a judgment to the poor person. Don't give a favorable judgment to someone just because they're poor. In other words, you're bending the law because you feel sorry, oh, this person's poor, so because they broke in, it's, oh, it's not such a big deal. In the Old Testament, it actually says, don't be partial in, in that way. And the point of what the scriptures is teaching is don't be partial in any way, but see people through the right eyes. You see, all of us come with different backgrounds. It doesn't matter what your background is. We could, it would be fascinating to hear all of the backgrounds. I was amazed just as we met last week with a um, Wild at Heart, just hearing some of the men's stories. And I was amazed at some of their stories because I would never know their background if I had looked at them. Sure. I was amazed at what God had done. Through some of those men's lives. And you look at them now and you're like, I cannot even imagine that that story is, is your story. Yeah. Because of the gospel. But if I had known their story, maybe I would have judged them differently. Maybe I would have seen them differently. And I would have thought of them differently. In the book of Revelation, let's just turn there for a moment. I didn't put this verse up, but I want us to just actually open our Bibles there. Just watching the time. In the book of Revelation, um, there's this very profound section in chapter 5. Where John is seeing this vision, this incredible vision of, 
of the history of salvation in the world. That's the book of Revelation. It's the history of how all salvation comes through Christ and how everything will be summed up in Christ and then how this beautiful new creation will be given to all of God's children. And he's, he's seen now the throne in heaven and he's seen um, this beautiful picture in Revelation chapter 5. He's seen all of these things, but then there comes a point at which there are books in which there's been written the history of the world, the outworking of all the things in the world that God wants to work out in the world. And in those books that are spoken of in chapter 5, these books that are sealed up, those books contain your story. Do you know that? Yeah. Yeah. Those books contain all of the story of how the world is going to unfold up until the coming, the return of Christ. Everybody's story is contained in those books. And these books are there and they're sealed up with seven seals. And then an angel says, No one is found in heaven or on the earth who is worthy to open those books. And John, in the vision, begins to weep. Now the word there for weep is not, he's not you know, like a little murmur, a little tear running down. He begins to weep, that kind of weeping that looks ugly. Where his body is shaking and convulsing. He is weeping and he's weeping because he knows that this means... That there is no hope for anybody to ever fulfill the calling and the destiny and the purpose that God has for their life. There's no hope for anything good to happen in this world. Because no one is found worthy to open those scrolls. And then one says in verse verse 5, One of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having the seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the world. And he is the one who is worthy to open that book and to open those seals. The lamb who was slain. He is the only one. The one who was fully God and fully man. Who died for our sins. He's the only one who's able to do that who's able to unlock the things of God that God has purposed for this earth and for your life. And this is why partiality is so dangerous and so destructive in the church. Because if I think, if I look at someone through any other eyes other than the lens of Jesus Christ, I am unable to see, I am unable to understand what God wants to do in and through their life. And I'm unable in any way to help them to fulfill that. And I actually nullify the power that the church has. The power of this church is not lying Sheldon and Kathleen. They are just the ones God has given as custodians to, to lead, to set the pace, to walk ahead, to show us the way along with the other elders. The power of this church lies in every single person Finding their destiny and walking in it. Every single person, regardless of where you come from, regardless of your past, regardless of your sin, regardless of whatever it is that's gone in your life. And so if I look at any one of you and think, well, actually, you know, I'm rather going to look at, I'm rather going to work with this guy because he's a rich businessman. But this homeless person, well, what, you know, what good could they do for the kingdom? I've nullified the power of the gospel. Because of all of these 10 people standing in the front here representing people, you know what? None of, none of what they come with, none of the baggage that they come with really matters. It doesn't matter what the baggage was that they had, what the sign says, whether they're rich or poor or homeless or, or whoever they are. 
None of that matters. Only, the only thing that matters is, how do they respond to Christ? How do they respond to the Word of Christ, and the Spirit of Christ, and the body of Christ? And if a person is responding well to God's Word, and God's Spirit, and in God's body, then God can use that person, regardless of what I think of them, regardless of how I might see them. And that's true of every one of us. Let's go to one more scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That very well-known scripture that um, we love to quote. Paul says to the Corinthian church who were judging him in his apostleship and trying to sort of question his apostleship and question his leadership. He says to them, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we know, have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet we now now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. The old things have passed. New things have come. What an amazing scripture. I want us to just take a moment to think about that. We recognize no one according to the flesh. We recognize no one according to the flesh. I really believe that we, are, we will become powerful as a people when this becomes a reality in the way we see people. Because we will realize that it does not matter who this person is that God is putting in front of me. If they are willing to respond to the Word of God and the Spirit of God, God can do anything with that person. Anything. They might be a homeless person that is standing in front of me right now. But if they respond with complete surrender to the Word of Christ and the Spirit of Christ, they could be the next person who changes the church in South Africa. Yes, amen. Joseph was in prison... He was a homeless man in prison. He was a nobody and he became the second most powerful man in the world. That's how the Spirit of God and the Word of God is able to take someone and change someone. But if we look with lenses of the flesh, of natural things, we limit what God can do. For starters, we limit evangelism. We limit how God is able to do evangelism in and through us. I want to say to you, a day is going to come where... There will be a homeless person and a billionaire walking through that door at the same time. And the, the power that we have to minister to them is that we can see them both through Christ's eyes. Because if I don't see that billionaire through Christ's eyes, I might think I must pander to this person. And you know when I pander to someone, I can't help them. I can't help them become free from their struggle. Do you think that that billionaire doesn't have struggles, doesn't have sin? And that billionaire and that homeless man, they might be the next two elders of the church. Together. Raised up. Why? Because they respond to the word of God. The word of Christ and the spirit of Christ. So it affects the way we do evangelism. Because if I look at someone through any eyes other than the eyes of Christ, it will limit the chance I have to see God work in their life. And secondly, it will affect the way that we disciple people. It will affect the way that we disciple people. Because I will measure where someone is able to go based on those factors. 
I'll, I'll look at the outside factors, the outside things about this person's life, and I'll, I'll say, you know, this person maybe could be a Christian of sort of this level, or maybe this level. And then someone else I see, oh, this person's really successful. They've um, really made it in life. They could really reach high heights for God. There's only one thing. I've learned this the hard way. There's only one thing that determines where you go with the Lord. It's how willing you are to surrender to Him. That's the only thing that matters. So you can have someone that you're discipling who might look the part. Man, this guy could be a leader. This guy could be great. Everything looks in order in their life. But deep down inside, there's sin that he doesn't want to deal with. And you're not even dealing with that because you're looking at the outside. And yet over here is another person who is, in the world's eyes, is a nobody. But they are surrendered to God. Fully surrendered. You know that that person is the one that you need to lift up through discipleship, through training. They are the ones who are going to be great in God's church. They are the ones who God is going to make movers and shakers in the church, which leads to the, the last point. That if we partial, it really affects leadership in the church. It begins to affect, if it, if it affects our evangelism, it affects our discipleship, it'll affect our leadership. I have known this in some churches. I'm thankful it's not true of Bay, but I'm going to preach this anyway. I've, I've, I've seen this firsthand in churches that if you are a rich business person, you are eldership material yeah. automatically. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not talking about some churches, I'm talking about many churches. Yeah. 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 And then there's some person who's a nobody sitting somewhere quietly, praying their heart out, actually doing the work of the kingdom quietly in the corner. They're overlooked yeah. because they're nobody. Yeah. That should be your elder. But you haven't trained or equipped them because you've overlooked them. Because you're partial in the way you look. I believe this is so important in terms of what God is doing in the church at the moment. I just feel that in South Africa there's such a um, sense that with everything that's happening in our nation politically and otherwise, I really believe God's church is busy rising up. Amen. And I really believe God's busy... Um, bringing about salvations in people. I, I really believe there's going to be an influx of salvation, of people just coming to, to people, just saying, help me, I want to, be, I want to know Jesus. And, and I believe the church needs to get ready for that. The church needs to be ready for what God is going to do. And so in order for us to be ready for that, we have to look at people with the eyes of Christ. We have to look at people through Christ's eyes. And so I want to pray for us, this morning. Can we just take a moment? Let's close our eyes. I want to pray for us all. And I really believe just that um, the Holy Spirit just wants to work in us this morning as we pray. So I want to just give him a little bit of time to, to do that. So just bear with me. Because I just need to hear what he's saying as well. First of all, I just believe that God is convicting us in the ways in which we have looked down on people. And you know what that looks like for you. You know who those people are that you look down at for whatever reason. Whether it's because of their moral failures, whether it's because of their age or gender. You know what the issue is that is making you look down at people. God is convicting us over this. And He's saying to us, do you not know the great debt that I've paid for you? I paid the same debt for them. 
And so he's saying to us this morning, be very careful to try and take specks out of other people's eyes when there is a massive log of pride sitting in your eyes. Because you think you're better than other people when really Christ died the same sacrifice for you as for them. So the first thing God is saying is a hard word this morning is to say, He's challenging our hearts and say, who are the people we're looking down to? And just confess that before Him. There's forgiveness, there's freedom right now. Just confess it before Him. And then there's another group that I really believe God is ministering to this morning. It's those who, because people have looked down upon you, you look down upon yourself. You have thought of yourself as less significant in the kingdom of God because of your past, because maybe of your, um, your background, maybe even because of your race. Whatever it is that you think that people have said this about you or, or you've experienced this kind of a looking down on you and so you begin to believe that, that you are less significant in the kingdom of God. And I just believe the Holy Spirit wants to set you free from that lie this morning. And He wants to say to you, you are a child of God, and God is looking at your heart. Break those lies that you've believed, that you are less important, that you are less significant. And accept what God says over you, that you are His child, that you've been bought with His blood. And surrender your heart to Jesus. Because I want to say to you, person who has thought of yourself as less, I want to say to you this morning, the kingdom of God and the church of Jesus Christ is waiting for you to stand up. It's waiting for you to take hold of your calling that God has given you. Because Jesus has given you that calling. And the only thing that's holding you back from stepping into what God has for you is that you think you're not good enough. Or you think you've been disqualified. And I break that lie off of your mind right now in Jesus' name. There is no such thing as not good enough or disqualified in the kingdom of God. We break that off your mind right now in Jesus' name. And Father, I just pray over the church just in general for all of us, Lord. As we stand convicted as well in our own hearts, Lord, of our partiality. Maybe we even feel that that insignificance has been part of us. But Lord, I just pray for your church this morning. That your church will arise with eyes of Christ to see each person as being a child of Christ, a child of God, found in Christ and full of God's Spirit. And every time I look at a person, I will see the potential of the power of the kingdom and of Christ in every single person I look at. And even when I look at someone out there in the world who is a sinner, who is wayward, who is far from you, Lord, I will look at them with eyes knowing that if only that person can hear about Jesus and surrender to Jesus, that person could become something great in the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray for those eyes over your church. Give us those eyes. Give us kingdom eyes. Give us eyes that the way that you look at people, Lord Jesus. You don't measure people the way we do, Lord. Let us not measure people the way of the world and the way of flesh. But let us look at people the way that you do, Lord. Let us look at people with your heart, with your love. We thank you, Jesus. We, we praise you for this, Lord. And, and Lord, I just pray that we will see, Lord God, we will see the homeless and the billionaires get saved in Bay City Church. And become discipled and grow and become released in their calling and purpose. The same. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. I just want to carry on reading two, two minutes, something here, that Corinthians passage. You see, this, I don't believe this only happens in the church. I believe it's when you're at work, when you employ people. If this is kingdom mandate value stuff. And the, the rest of that passage in Corinthians says this, that all this is from God. This, you know, the, new, the old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself he has the key for the church for South Africa and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave that to us. And why does he say that? That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them and through us. Sorry, not counting their trespasses against them and through us and entrusting us to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, when you, when you repent of something and when you confess it, repentance is changing the way you think. So now you've got to put this into action this week. When you are in, 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 in situations where you have acted like this before, you've got to repent of that then because your thinking eventually affects your actions. And this nation needs love. Needs everybody to feel not less, not greater. We're all loved. And that's the church. It can only be done for us. We are the only ones that carry the ministry of reconciliation. Not even the Truth and Reconciliation Committee could bring the full truth and full life. That's you and I. Thank you, Montaigne. Outstanding this morning. Outstanding. Brilliant. Amen. We'll have a fantastic week. Loving everybody. Amen. Even your wife. Even your boss. Yeah. Be blessed.